So March Madness ended last week, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a huge sports fan. And this week's guest is Jay Williams. He's an analyst at ESPN. He won a college basketball national championship while he played at Duke. And then he was drafted into the NBA second overall in the 2002 draft by the Chicago Bulls. His rookie year, he gets into a motorcycle accident and it all but ends his career. It was so bad that one physician told Jay it looked like an IED exploded on his leg. Jay says part of him died that day, but he says that's the moment when his reawakening began. Here's this week's episode, Jay Williams, and the moment he stopped asking God, why me? And started asking, why not me? Thanks so much for joining. Thank you for having me. The podcast. You and I go back, and of course, we love to give each other some grief around March Madness time with Duke and Michigan. But this is all about journeys of faith hmm. and how our faith has guided us through triumph and tragedy, which you've seen your share of. So let's just go back to the beginning and take I, me all the take way. Take you back. all. Let's let's rewind a little bit. But before we rewind, I just want to ask you: What is it that you believe, Jay? I originally, I'm, I'm Catholic. I went to an all boys Catholic high school. I went through a private school K through eighth and my father was Catholic. My father's from Fort Lauderdale. So I grew up going to a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, I think faith for me originally was something that it was part of my everyday routine within my school system and within the way my father raised me. Uh, my mother was Baptist, uh, then she became non-denominational as I got older. But I don't think I put a lot of attention into faith or into church. It was more something that I just knew because it was part it was of that process. routine. Yes. You know, I could sit there and say the Our Father or the Hail Mary with my eyes closed. It was just, we said it every day in school. Uh, I was around priest in school. I don't think I really started to pay attention to faith until my reawakening. When, when was that? Which was after my accident. I think that was the first time at the age of 21 where I was completely lost. I was looking to find answers or better terminology, understandings of why this happened to me. What mm-hmm. did I do to deserve this? Right. And I think that was my first true step into trying to figure out what faith really meant to me. Well, let's set this up. For those that might not be familiar with your story, Jay, you are a legend at Duke. You leave early, enter Mm -hmm. the NBA draft. You're the second overall pick right behind Yao Ming, drafted by the Bulls. They've got huge hopes for you. You have Michael Jordan's locker. Mm -hmm. So you're uh, pretty much done with the season towards the end of the season, right? Yes. And June 19th, 2003, what happens? Well, let me give you some context. I'm kind of a nerd just like you, so I think context is everything. Um, I got lucky enough to graduate school in three years, so I did leave early, but I graduated with my degree. Good for you. um, Which is great because I wanted to use my platform in basketball to build a business. That's what my father's talked about my entire life. My Mm -hmm. mother, involved in education, always took school seriously, was thinking about, hey, how do I use these life lessons you know, staying three years in school, even though I could have left after my sophomore year, using my junior year slash senior year to really understand where it is to be a quote unquote an adult. Okay. Um, 
Then I get drafted, play a year for the Bulls, kind of get lost in the whirlwind of the lifestyle that comes along with being a professional athlete. And what does that lifestyle consist of? What does it look like? Because you say, I don't know if it's in your book, but you talk about how you were lost and you were and you were totally caught up in the moment. Yeah, I think moving at warp speed and not really paying any of the repercussions or the consequences from living at that speed. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of people around me um, because of the stardom that came along with being drafted and being on billboards on I-90 in Chicago and having Michael Jordan's locker. I think I started to develop godlike complexes, mm-hmm. which, you know, when not that I was doing it maliciously, but when you don't spend time to stop and reflect upon what your decisions are, how do you know what the re- repercussions of those decisions can be? Sure. And at 21 years old, I'm still a kid. And you're getting paid a lot, a of, lot money, of money. A lot of money. Mm-hmm. To take you to that day, that day was a unique day because I was coming off a trip to Durham, North Carolina, where I just felt like I was finding out who I needed to be on the court again. And I was playing extremely well. Um, I flew back from Durham after partying that night, like any other 21-year-old kid would do, Mm -hmm. and was a little bit hungover, went to practice at the practice facility, which was in Deerfield, and had a great- suburbs of Chicago. Suburbs of Chicago. Had a great practice. Um, A lot of the coaches were like, I don't know what the hell you've been doing, but whatever you've been doing, that's great. Keep doing that. And then went back to my apartment downtown Chicago to take a nap, called a hungover nap. And then uh woke up and took my motorcycle to go meet my agent at that time, right? Think about how ironic that is. The um, irony of that yes, right there. I'm taking my bike to go meet my agent. Without a helmet. Without a helmet. Well, it was a beautiful day in Chicago. And as you know, Chicago, Chicago during the winter, they call it Siberia. Mm-hmm. You're from Michigan. You get that. Yes. And I lived in Chicago for six years. And it is the best summer city in terms of winter. It's brutal. Uh, absolutely. Love so it, a beautiful day outside mm-hmm. in the summer, June. Why not? I'm only going a mile down the road. Once you again, were only going a mile down the road. Yep. And the way you justify things in your own mind, totally. um, regardless to say that's not just when you're 21. I think sometimes people when they're in their 50s, 60s, you still do things like this. So just justification of why should I wear my helmet? Why should I wear any protective gear? I'm only going a mile down the road to go meet my agent. I'll take a nice little cruise there. Uh, had a deal with Chevrolet as I was walking towards the door. I don't want to take my Tahoe. I've been in that Tahoe for the past seven months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm tired of the Tahoe. Um, I had and a cor- I'm just going down the road. Just going down the road. Um, not going to take my Corvette. My Corvette makes me feel more like my father than it does a 21-year-old. <laughs> uh, why not just take my bike? So got on my bike, got to the meeting. Everything was great. We were discussing my website because websites were really back in. Mm-hmm. Back then, and then as I was leaving the meeting with my agent, um, opened the door, and my agent's like, "You know, what are you doing? Why are you why are you riding that bike?" And uh, my reasoning to him was, "What do you mean? What am I doing? We shouldn't be doing a lot of things. We shouldn't taking that private plane to Vegas, or we shouldn't have been partying with this person and that person." Well, your agent knows that that would have nullified your contract, and you're with with the Bulls. Yes, you are outside of of the parameters. Yes, of the contract. Of the contract. The contract also states that you're not allowed to go into jet skis. You're not allowed to go skydiving. Things that you see guys do anyway. Um, yeah. Granted, this is the more extreme of those things. Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of gave him my spew on that and then proceeded to get on my bike. The neighborhood was desolate. I was by myself. He was standing in the doorway watching me. And I proceeded to pull away. And as I pulled away... 
I had the bike in neutral. I was coming towards a stop sign going maybe about 35 miles per hour. Rev the engine once as loud as possible because I wanted to show off. Because you're 21? 21. And I had a new a new motor, mm-hmm. you know, a new muffler, excuse me, on the bike. So revved it once, pretty loud. Revved it the second time, louder than the first. And then the third time, which third time is a charm, right? Uh, revved it even louder than the first two times. And in the middle of that third rev, all I heard was the bike go click, click. The wheels popped up on me. That old saying, let go, let God. Uh, I wish I would have done that at that particular time. Let go, actually let go, let go of, of the, the bike mm-hmm. and just let the bike fly away as mm-hmm. it was popping a wheelie. Um, but I needed to be in control of things at that juncture in my life. On the court with my family, how we talked about business. And I think that's more of a byproduct of how I saw my father in that lead role um, financially with my family. So I wanted to control this bike. I wanted to prove people that prove to people that they were wrong. I wasn't going to get hurt and that I can manifest my own destiny. So I grabbed onto the handlebars. And as the bike threw me back, my momentum threw the throttle back even more as I grabbed on. The bottom wheel spun out. And the next thing you know, my trajectory has changed about 35 degrees to the right. And as I look up, I see the speedometer about saying, you know, going, I was going 65, 70 miles per hour. And now I'm headed towards a utility pole. And that's the day of my reawakening. That was the day of your reawakening. Yeah. I clipped the whole left side of my body on the pole, spun in the air, hit the ground like an anchor hitting the bottom of the seafloor. And... My chest was on the grassy knoll area between the sidewalk and the curb as if I was laying on my stomach. And my legs were on top of each other as if I was laying on my side on the pavement. Mm. And uh, that's when I started screaming. I threw it all away. I threw it all away, pounding my fists on the pavement. You knew at that moment. Well, it felt as if somebody was pouring hot scolding water all over the lower extremity of my body. But every time my hands were trying to feel my legs, um, I would look at my hands and I wouldn't see any blood. Mm -hmm. Um, So initially you're, okay, am I bleeding internally? I've never felt this before. I'm obviously in shock. I'm in so much pain that I'm not in pain. Um, But it was the weirdest feelings to have your hands feel your legs, but your legs not feel your hands back. And then when my agent came over to look at me, his mouth was literally... He saw the whole thing. Yeah, down. I mean, he's still in the doorway watching this whole thing. And his mouth was down on the ground pretty much. And this look in his eyes was almost as if somebody yanked his soul out of his body. Do you recall what he said to you? He was, I think he was just trying to find a way to get me to calm down because I was hysterical. I mean, I was, I'm banging my fist, like my knuckles in the ground. Screaming, I threw it all away, hitting the ground hard. I, I can't feel pain at this particular juncture. Can I just read, I, just to really, I, as much as you're describing it, I mean, one therapist said that it looked like your leg was hit by an IED. Mm-hmm. Okay, The New York Times in February of 2013 wrote, quote, the leg resembled a map of Williams's lost years, remnants of 10 plus operations Marks from the 100 staples, a scar that ran from pelvis to ankle, smaller divots from the numerous knee scopes. He sustained a total knee dislocation in the accident. He tore every ligament. He dislocated his pelvis. He ripped through a nerve in his left foot that took a year to regenerate. The pain comparable to that of childbirth, so severe it would wake Williams in the middle of the night. He severed an artery, 
tore the hamstring from the bone. As he lay in the muscle, his leg atrophied. He lost muscle, then tone, until the leg withered away and looked to Williams like a pencil or a toothpick. It's one heck of a list, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I know you guys can't see it at home, but this is pretty much how my leg looks now. So I have a scar that runs all the way, maybe about 10 inches, 15 inches from my ankle. Uh, scar that runs mid-calf all the way up the left side of the outside of my left leg, all the way to my mid-thigh. Uh, it's where I had those 100 staples. That was probably the most gruesome part of it um, because I had something called a fasciotomy mm-hmm. where, you know, have you ever had a dream? Um, what kind of dream? Sure, yeah, <laughs> let, me, let me better clarify. Um, a dream that something bad has happened to either yourself or a family member. All the time. You As wake- a parent, yes, I okay. have these these. They're nightmares. I have them all the time about something happened to my kids. And you wake up in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. you, you think to yourself, oh, mm-hmm. thank God. That thank was God a that, dream. Did, that was just a dream. Uh, so for me, that moment was when I woke up after my surgeries. Um, you know, I was rushed into the hospital. Dr. Mallet was a doctor who was the one on call, pretty much. Asked me for my parents' phone number to give them permission for me to do surgery because I was bleeding internally. And you wake up and you think that you're in a dream until you see two metal pins inserted into your legs uh, that's holding your leg up in the air, hyperextended away from your body. Uh, two metal pins that are, and I'm talking about massive pins, like two feet pins that are surgically inserted into your pelvis on two each side. feet? Oh, yeah. So 24 inches up, up on either side. Yes. That kind of connected at a Those halo. Those are pins. I, they're they're like poles. Yeah. Um, and you think to yourself, at that particular moment, this can't be my reality. This has to be. This has to be a dream. Until you look over and you see my agent. It looks like he's been there all night. Um, you know, his face is red as a balloon because he's been crying all evening long. And then that's when you recognize. You, you start thinking. I can't believe this happened to me. After this break, how Jay's faith helped him through that grueling recovery and the purpose that he's found after basketball. And you say that was your reawakening where in a moment where you seemingly lost your life, you also gained it in a new avenue. I did not recognize it at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny. Um I don't know if I'm very into every word of the Bible. I think I'm a very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it culminates from that moment because I thought I was becoming who I was supposed to be. And as a kid, when you spend a lot of your time dreaming about what kind of person am I going to be? And that's associated with fame and and wealth and status <laughs> the things that you think are important at that moment. Um, it, it wasn't until a couple of years later that I started to figure out, oh, wait, this is my purpose. And the substance of this purpose is so much more mean, meaningful than it could have ever been as a guy that would have went on to play 15 years in the NBA. And maybe I would have had an impact in a different way. I, I don't know. But I think going through that allowed me to see what this life should really be about. And if I don't go through any of that pain, how do I ever recognize what beauty is? 
I never had. You didn't have a perspective. Yeah. A vantage point. I never had a data point from mm-hmm. that pain or uh, to understand what my purpose should be. So you're in the recovery process was it's very arduous long. Yes. would be the word for it. And you went down a really dark path. How dark was it? We're talking depression yeah. and alcoholism. And you had scissors at one point where you were trying to cut your wrist. Two attempts at suicide. I tried it. Uh, Two. Yeah. I only know about the one. Two. Yeah. I tried it uh, the first time. Probably a couple of months after I got out of the hospital, I spent about two and a half months in the hospital um, with the scissors where I tried to have a tattoo on my left wrist called Believe. I have not gotten a tattoo since I've been hurt, by the way. I have 10 tattoos and they all have so much meaning, which is kind of, I mean, our strength does not come from physical capacity. It comes from an indomitable will by Mahatma Gandhi uh-huh. on my left forearm. Really? Uh, I have two errors, human to forgive is divine and two hands praying with a cross on my right forearm. Really? I tried to cut off the word believe on my left. On your left wrist. Inside wrist. Um, because I didn't really know what to believe in at that moment. Uh, the second time happened a couple of years later where I was living on the Lower East Side. I was still trying to figure out, you know, what am I doing here? I wasn't playing basketball anymore. And I was addicted to Oxycontin uh, because of all the surgeries I had on my mm-hmm. on my left leg. And I didn't have to do it anymore, but... It was also numbing the pain of me having to deal with the fact that other people reminded me of what I had lost. And I wasn't able to change the narrative to what I had found yet because I didn't recognize the power of that yet. And now when you when you first returned, especially to broadcasting with ESPN, people would taunt you and say you threw it all away. Do you still feel that way at all? Because it, it doesn't sound like you do because you found a new you and a new purpose. No, I don't feel like, well, first off, when people say that used to hurt me, that used to be very frustrating because if people would disagree with me upon my sports analogy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they would throw a life altering event in my face. Yeah, that's a low blow. Yeah. Um, But that's the world we live in, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And that did affect me initially. I think, (laughs) you know. For probably the past eight or nine years, I said, no, I, I would have thrown it all away if I would have died. That That is what that would have meant. Um, this has given me everything in my life. And so now I look at that and I, I think I instead of responding from a negative perspective, I feel like my purpose is to teach and I engage in those teaching aspects so, you know, I engage people back in a way that they're not used to because they think I'm going to respond with another quick blow or something to try to debase yeah. them. And all I do is I build them up because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to be here for. So, hey, Jay, you threw it all away. I'm like, well, if that's your way of disagreeing with me mm-hmm. upon my sports analogy, we need a little bit more of a deep therapy session. Exactly. And number two, actually, I found so much about my life that I never really paid attention to before. My time here is so short in a big scheme of things. And I don't want to utilize my time, um, you know, being pushed towards negativity or, you know, embracing people who want to hurt other people. Like I, I want to uplift. Yeah. You're, you're very positive. How do you think, what role did your faith play in getting you to this point? <sighs> well, I think I started to find out what faith really meant. I never, I never, once again, when you're young or even if you're old, sometimes we move so fast in this matrix that you never spend time to think about what those things really mean to you. Mm-hmm. Even though I have built a foundation from going to school, until you really go through some adversity in your life, 
where you really have to apply that faith, you don't have an understanding of it. So for me, that whole terminology of when I was describing the story of letting go of the bike and saying, let go, let God almost have had a negative connotation associated with it originally. I, I, I wish I would have let go and let God. And if I let go and let God, like I was associating, let go, let God with letting go of the bike. And my life would have been better if I had listened to God and letting go. But I didn't let go, which meant that I let go, actually, mm-hmm. in a very weird way. Yeah. So recognizing that that was my purpose, that was my journey. And now instead of having incidents in my life, because you still have things that go wrong, right? Life is not perfect. Not perfect at all. It's my job to recognize, okay, this is still hurtful, still painful that I lost my brother a year ago. But I have to find meaning in that. And I have to start living my life maybe in ways that I had looked over, maybe sure. in ways that I didn't pay attention to because that was his purpose, to teach me something. And I would do a dishonor or disservice to him or to my my calling if I didn't find that, to my faith if I didn't find that. Do you think that that was the lowest point for you? What was rock bottom for Jay Williams? The physical aspect of the recovery was nowhere close to rock bottom. It was a psychological. It was the fact that I had to realize that at that particular moment, well, the, that span from, I guess, 21 was when I got hurt to probably 25, 26, that I had taken away the opportunity for the people I loved the most to achieve what they had ultimately wanted to achieve as well. That was the most agonizing part. Because my mother and my father sacrificed so much for Your me to get Your mother did not want you to have that motorcycle. She smacked you over the head when, when she saw you for the first time after the accident. Yeah. And my father um, had tried to talk to me more man to man about it. But I was running my own show. I had the power. Yep. So when your mother you know, gets a chance to work with Arnie Duncan, you meet Barack Obama with my short stand in Chicago – She's on her path to do things in the educational field. My dad gets a chance to, you know, worked for over 15 years at American Express, worked another 15 years at AT AT&T, woke up every single morning at 5 a.m. to take an hour train ride into the city, sacrifices for me to go to a private school, um, for them to associate me with the people that they were able to raise me around. Initially, that was the most challenging part for me. And then that... Knowing that you had let... Them down, mm-hmm. them down, because this is this is our chance. Like when you get drafted, it's not about hey, I made it. We it's, made it. It's we, a, yeah. Like you're starting your. Mm-hmm. It's like anybody with like your job now. You know, you work hard to hopefully establish a foundation for your family for the rest of their lives too. And that's what I felt like I had with that opportunity at that moment. Yeah. And then, um, then that slowly started to shift to me because. I mean, my lower extremities did not work. Mm-hmm. I suffered severe the, nerve damage. The doctors were concerned you may not be able to be intimate again. Yes. And the pain associated with that, the pain associated with nerve regeneration, which does equate to childbirth. Um, you know, the it, any moment at any time throughout a given day for three and a half, four years, somebody could just stab me with a knife in the leg continuously for hours or maybe seconds. And I would start screaming in pain. 
um, or felt the same way within, you know, mm-hmm. my lower area, the same thing. So I, I had a lot of deep, deep, dark, very dark moments where I was angry. I was who, angry. Who were you angry with? Myself. Myself. Angry at myself. Angry at the powers above. Did you ever say, God, why'd you allow this to happen? Oh, I asked it every day. What was the why? answer you got? I didn't get an answer for a long time. Because I wasn't really, I wasn't really in the space to ask the question properly. It was more of a question out of retaliation. Because, yes, I had been a little bit lost, and I had spent money on doing some frivolous things, but I wasn't a bad person. I was a twenty-one-year-old kid mm-hmm. trying to figure this life out. And when you're staying in the hospital and you got tubes down your throat, and you're going through physical therapy for years to learn how to walk. When your penis does not function properly for three and a half, four years, and you have to take a blue pill two times a day, every day for three and a half years, Um, when it hurts when you have to pee to go to the bathroom, when you can't get up out of bed and you have to ring a bell and have multiple people help you out of bed, when you can see the inside of what your leg looks like and you have dropped foot and you may not be able to ever walk correctly for the rest of your life. Uh, when people remind you every single day because you walk with a limp and they stare at you and they wonder, oh, you, you used to be a really good player, right? You're the guy that threw it all away. Like So when you're constantly reminded of these are the details of who you were and nobody even focuses at who you are at that given moment or who you want to become, you naturally build up anger with that. So those questions of why me to God was more out of me being perplexed about why am I even in this situation to begin with? Why me, God? Why are you doing this to me? Like, what? And it wasn't until years later until you recognized the power of saying, wait, wait, wait. Why not me? Wow. Like, why, why not me? Like, my whole life has prepared me for this moment to recognize the gift that has been given to me. And I could be one of these people that sits there for the next 40 years and says, well, it's me. I threw it all away and I didn't do that. And then what do I ever get to do with my life? Then how do I see the beauty of the opportunity that I have to actually be here? Nobody said I had to be here. So as I'm worried about my leg and about whether I will have kids and throwing it all away with my parents and taking away this moment to have you know, glory and riches and fame. Wait a second. I've been given glory, riches and fame. It's just not in the humanistic way. Our society defines glory, riches and fame. And that's when things start to really change for me as a person, because I recognize that my shoulders were broad enough to carry that weight. And maybe other people didn't understand it, but that was okay because I started to understand it. I don't know if I've really ever heard anything as profound as what you just expressed instead of asking why God did you allow this to happen? You know, why not? Why not? Why not me? It's the most powerful thing to have that perspective and that complete 180. What do you see when you look at your scars now? Oh, well, you know, I, so I walk in today and I'm, I have on shorts for seven years after my accident until I was 28 years old. I would wear sweatpants during the summer in North Carolina. It's like 105 degrees, 105 humidity. 
I'm wearing sweats. Did you not want to be reminded and see those scars or did you not want other people to see the scars? Well, I mean, first off, I never wanted to talk about it. Mm. And the only way I felt I could prevent other people from talking about it was if they couldn't address it or see it. I was embarrassed. Now, when I look at my scars and I still go through pain on the day to day, first off, the pain is amazing because it constantly serves as a reminder of how lucky I am to be able to get up out of bed and walk. Oh, okay. I'm going to be able to walk with my daughter. I'm going to be able to run with my daughter to a certain extent. And secondly, the scars are sexy. That's what I, they're sexy first <laughs> off. Scars are sexy. You buried the lead there. Yes, that was actually the most important, important aspect. Yes. It's my blueprint. Mm-hmm. It's a part of my blueprint of how I got to where I am today. And why would I want to negate that? Mm. Why would I want to push that aside? So powerful. How much does your faith mean to you now? It's my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I joke with my wife all the time because I'm a firm believer of the law of attraction. We innately have that power. Now, whether you recognize if you have that power or not is up to you. But if you truly internally, spiritually ask for something, you will receive it. Now, it may not be in the manner that you think you've wanted, but it's your job to find that meaning, the purpose of it. So it's really funny. Um, When I was younger, I would talk to my dad and my mom all the time because they would ask me, Profound questions at like 15. I'm like, I can't think about that at 15. <laughs> so my, I would say, I want to get drafted and I want to be an NBA player. And I, you know, I want to be able to buy you guys the things you've always dreamt of wanting. My dad would always say to me, my mom would too, well, what are you going to do with that platform? How are you going to be impactful? How are you going to make a difference? Well, I'm going to do stuff for kids. And, uh, you know, education is big to mom. So education is going to be big to me. And, you know, I want to do business. And I want to be able to give back to my community and empower our youth. And, you know, being African-American, British and Irish, a crazy combination. I would say all these things and kind of think through what I was going to do. And, you know, at times my mom and I would randomly pray. Um, praying wasn't something that we did all the time. And then, you know, I would ask for those things. I would ask, you know, dear God, please afford me an opportunity one day if you see it to be fit for me to be able to provide that impact. So I'm associating that impact with the dream of playing professionally. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, you asked to be impactful. Here I am just doing a docuseries with LeBron and Maverick. We're going and we're dealing with kids from the inner city of Newark and you're teaching them how to never be defined by them, by their circumstances and how powerful they are and you know what they need to recognize. And it's something I'm still doing to this day. And I've written a book and I've gotten a chance to sit down with Oprah. I get a chance to work with you on GMA and share my story. And you're like, wait, 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 wait a second. This is what I've asked for. Yep. This is what I've asked for now. Not I- what you visualized. But not, that's not it's not in the form that you thought it was going to come. It's not in the package you thought expected. But how I mean, when it all depends on how you define glory and riches, mm-hmm. it's your perspective. If you could describe your faith in one word, maybe I'll give you two because I'm generous. What would that be? Blind. I do not know what my journey has in store for me. But I believe 
like the word on my left wrist, uh, there is purpose for me. So when I do things, I try to manifest the glory of that purpose. That's the only way I know how to live my life. And, you know, I, I go and I play for a coach like Coach K, who a lot of people like to reward him or praise him for all the accolades that he's received through coaching. But the lessons that I've learned from that man and my parents and some of the people that I've been lucky to be on my board throughout the process, it's all been about that. About what kind of person do you want to be? And do I have flaws? Yes. Do I have things I need to constantly work on? Yes. But I, I want to spend my time here on this earth working on those things to influence other people to recognize that, hey, if I'm vulnerable, why shouldn't you be vulnerable too? Why can't we all be vulnerable together? That's Nobody's right. perfect. That's right. We all have to find that common denominator. There is power in vulnerability and strength. Jay, congratulations. Thank you. I, I mean, this for me has just been so inspiring to hear your story and you've challenged me i know you're going to challenge a lot of a lot of other people and best of luck to you we're pulling for you all right thanks jay thanks so much for listening to this episode of journeys of faith we do want to encourage you that if you are in crisis to please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or contact the Crisis Text Line by texting TALK to 741-741. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. If you haven't done so already, subscribe and give us a rating. And a big thanks to the team at ABC Radio, Susie Liu, Louis Millman, Mike Dubusky, Joyce Alcantara, Brianna Montalvo, Sean Griffin, Josh Cohan, and Andrew Cow. We'll see you next week on Journeys of Faith.